Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Recently, I had a chance to talk with Jennifer Rothschild as she discussed the dynamics of her fresh, grounded faith events and shared about how God has worked in her life in light of her recent situation with a broken wrist. Then you'll meet Claire Caldwell and her adoptive mother, Barbara Caldwell. Claire is a twin and an abortion survivor. Her brother's life was taken. Together, you'll hear Claire and Barbara discuss their experiences of God's faithfulness and their devotion to speaking up for life. And Michelle Medlock-Adams and Bethany Jett visited with me recently to share their unique perspectives on motherhood and to give words of encouragement for moms. Some conversation highlights with them are ahead. And on this edition of The Intersection... David Curry of Open Doors USA brings information about the 2020 World Watch List recently released by the organization. The list highlights the countries which are the leading persecutors of Christians worldwide. Plus, prepare for a lesson in American history as Mark David Hall, a professor from George Fox University, shares about the Christian influence on our nation's founding. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Jennifer Rothschild is a well-known women's speaker who leads fresh, grounded faith women's events all across the country. Recently, I had a chance to talk with her who, though she is legally blind, is able to see through spiritual eyes. Here now is Jennifer Rothschild. I think we we tend to... Um live our lives sometimes with these big mantras. You know, we put them on our coffee cups or we tweet them. I can do all things through Christ or God's got this. Or, you know, we go into any any Hobby Lobby or Christian bookstore and you see all the sayings and they're so motivating. But what I've recognized is um, those are kind of like cheerleaders that cheer me on. Uh, but I have to have something more than that encouragement of a cheerleader. I've got to have the courage that comes from the Lord. And and I said specifically that comes from the Lord, because here's why. I have a pretty positive attitude naturally. In fact, my uh, maiden name is Jolly. <laughs> so things are pretty happy with <laughs> Something, me. Yeah, there, that's the bar. That's the standard there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But I do not have the ability in blindness or with the limitation of this broken wrist, I do not have the ability to muster my own courage. I don't. Mm. And I have to receive that from God. So the way I keep going, honestly, is recognizing just like Peter, when he's walking on the water and suddenly realizes he's sinking. I just have to have the humility to say every day in the big things and the little things, Lord, save me. Lord, save me from my despair. Lord, save me from my pride. Lord, save me from my bitterness. Lord, just help me, help me get through this. And living that kind of daily dependence, sometimes we might look at it from the outside and think that's limiting. Actually, that's the most liberating thing we can do because it takes the onus and the responsibility off of us. You know, I was, you and I were talking before we joined the meeting house that um, I've learned a new definition for stress with blindness and a broken wrist. And it is uh, responsibility without ability Mm, (laughs) equals maximum stress. (laughs) Because of course I have a manuscript due and there's a lot that I do with writing and podcasting and I've not been able to do it. And so it's helped me recognize that um, I don't have to feel that stress because ultimately 
if I really trust God for all the details of my life, then I can trust him for the little daily things. I can trust him for the big things. And I can recognize that what he's given me responsibility for, he's going to make sure it happens because he who begins the good work is the one who carries it to completion. So instead of feeling such enormous stress, I'm trying to discipline myself to just feel tremendously cared for and taken care of by God. Fresh Grounded Faith coming back to the area. Jennifer, along with Catherine Wolf and worship leader Meredith Andrews. And I tell you what, as far as event names go, wow, Fresh Grounded Faith is a wonderful descriptive name for this event. It plays off the fact, as I recall in past conversations, you're a bit of a coffee connoisseur. There may be a a special coffee and tea tasting, I think, as part of the overall (laughs) agenda. So, So tell me about the concept of Fresh Grounded Faith. Well, yes, there will be some very special coffee there, and it'll be strong coffee because strong women <laughs> drink strong coffee. We'll also that be sounds serving, like a t-shirt. <laughs> I know, right? We're also going to be serving some tea, and I've just created this tea in the last couple of years, and I I modeled it after my favorite dead author. My favorite author is C.S. Lewis, and you know his most famous book is Mere Christianity. So I created a British breakfast blend. And I named it Mere Christiana Tea. Oh, <laughs> so we'll be serving that. But truly, the real reason it's called Fresh Grounded Faith is because that's what we want. We want our faith to be fresh, awakened by the reality of God's presence in our life, quickened by the Holy Spirit, just deeply grounded in God's word so that we have that foundation that never changes. And then when we have really, truly fresh and grounded faith, then whatever we face or however we feel, we know that we can walk forward in victory and in triumph and in joy. And that's what women are going to experience at Fresh Ground of Faith. It's going to be intensely practical. In fact, I'm going to share three hope confessions of a she-can woman so that when you're down in the dumps or when you're frustrated and dogged by discouragement, you know what to say to your soul that is biblical and wise that will give you hope. And we're also going to talk through some actions of she can woman. So no matter what our world is like, no matter how many things that feel out of our control, we can still control our attitudes and we can control our actions and we can live with the degree of faith and victory that God designed for us. Jennifer Rothschild here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to jenniferrothschild.com. Well, moving on now on this edition of The Intersection, you'll be hearing from international speaker Claire Caldwell, an abortion survivor whose biological mother, unaware she was pregnant with twins, aborted her brother. And Claire was joined by her adoptive mother, Barbara Caldwell, former crew staff member and women's mentor through Warren Caldwell Ministries. Together, they shared about their respective stories and their passion for life. This conversation occurred prior to their participation in the She Loves Out Loud Ladies Prayer simulcast in February of 2020. Here now are Claire Caldwell and Barbara Caldwell. It was an interesting journey for us as we, um, for years, were um, hoping and waiting and asking God for a baby. And it was really one of the first times that I really felt like I... Willie was clinging to the Lord in new ways because I thought, Lord, do you hear me? Do you care that I want a baby and this isn't happening? And I felt like it really taught me so much about God's character. And I knew that so many things were true about God, but I felt like during those years where 
times when I really had to say, Lord, I do trust you. I know you're good. I know you're great, but I don't feel it a whole lot right now. And I wonder if you're hearing me. And I felt like it was for me a time to really to um, continue to just say over and over again the things that I knew that were true and God showed me in his word. I have good plans for you. And I, as you draw near to me, you learn more about me. And I have the very best plan for you in mind, even though you can't see it right now. So for me, it was a sweet time now that I look back on it even more of really um, drawing closer to the Lord. And again, not even knowing what he had around the corner, but knowing that it was good. It was a time of really um, practicing things that I knew that were true and seeing God show up and show me his kindness. Well, let's talk about the effect of what occurred in 2009. And Barbara, I want to stay with you as Claire had that meeting, that discussion with her birth mother as she learned about the circumstances of her birth. How did learning this about Claire affect you? Well, I think when her birth mother first told me, it was the day after we all met her together, and she mentioned that she'd had an abortion when she was pregnant with Claire. And I thought in my mind, wow, I know God has a purpose for each one of our lives but he has a really big purpose for her life because as I thought of just mm. the, the miraculousness of her life and that she survived what was, the, what was meant to take her life. And so from the very beginning, it just gave me more awe and trust in the great God of the universe that he spared her life and that he had a purpose for her and the message that he wanted to speak through her. And so it was, it was neat, but it was like, it was a little mind-boggling to really actually hear that, but it was my first thought was the reminder of God's purpose and hand on her life. Mm, what a, a great perspective on that. Claire, as you discovered this about the circumstance of your birth, tell me about the effect it had on you. I think as, as I looked into my birth mother's eyes that day and I, I saw that pain that I mentioned, it it made me realize that that my thoughts about abortion for so long and my silence about abortion for so long um, became heartbreaking to me. Because when I thought about the person that had been affected by abortion, I thought, it's not someone in my family, it's not someone in my church, it's not someone in my community, it's not someone that is relatable to me in any way. And, and when I looked into my birth mother's eyes and I heard her story and I heard about my twin and I heard about my survival, it humanized that baby for me. It, it made me empathize with that woman who does find herself in the position of, of deciding whether or not she's going to carry a child to term, whether she's going to become a mother, um, placed for adoption or um, have an abortion. And so it, it made me really think like, okay, this this is an issue that affects every single person. And if an abortion has done what it has done to my birth mother um, and, and traumatizing her and, and hurting her and not empowering her in any way as a woman, that it's probably doing the same thing to every single other woman like my birth mother who walks through the doors of an abortion clinic or every single child like me um, who isn't 
uh, fortunate enough to actually survive an abortion procedure. It actually takes their life. And so it, it gave me not only this clear picture of, of God's fingerprints all over my life and, and that this is, this is okay because good can come out of this and, and God creates beauty from ashes, but it gave me purpose and a voice to say, okay, I can speak to that. I can speak up for women, for families, for children who find themselves in these difficult situations. Barbara Caldwell and her adopted daughter, Claire Caldwell, joining me recently on the Meeting House program. Claire's website is clairecaldwell.com. You can learn about the She Loves Out Loud event by going to sheloveseoutloud.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Michelle Medlock-Adams and Bethany Jett, the co-authors of the book, They Call Me Mom, 52 Encouraging Devotions for Every Moment. Together, they shared words of encouragement for moms rooted in their respective experiences. Here now are Michelle Medlock-Adams and Bethany Jett. When I was a little girl growing up, everybody wants to, when you play make-believe, you play mom and, and doctor and all those things. I was never one that actually just couldn't wait to be a mom. Like, I wasn't sure I could do it. (laughs) So, I mean, even that was that thing. I just, like, couldn't wait to be a mom. So, it's funny that once um, I I married my high school sweetheart, and we've been married just about it, not very long, actually, a couple of months. And and then, you know, how that happens, I I got pregnant with my first child. We were going to wait five years. We waited, like, five minutes. And and so, I I kind of, I, I say God parented me, and I learned how to parent as God parented me. And you know, it was so funny, the minute that I knew I was pregnant and that there was this life growing inside of me, um, all those fears and all that, it was still there, but I was so excited. I mean, the minute I knew the baby could hear, I would start reading books and, and then I, and we liked it so much. We had another little girl, uh, just 20 months later. So they're, they're just 20 months apart. And you know, um, now they're, they're married. We're definitely our empty nesters, both married to godly men and, and they have their own babies and it just keeps getting better. We say that this book is for every age at every stage, and um, that's why we wrote it this way, because we're in different stages of motherhood, both Bethany and I, but it's all wonderful. Every stage has its own wonderful moments, and I love, love it. It's the hardest job you'll ever love, is what I always say, and I continue to love it with, with adult kids and with grandkids. There's nothing better than, than being called Gigi. I'm telling you, it makes all those <laughs> teenage hormonal years worth it. Well, Bethany, let's talk about your own mothering journey and how really God developed a passion in you to be a mom. Yeah, I have a similar story to Michelle's. You know, my own sister was very nurturing and they played mommy, you know, with the little ones during recess at school. And I never was like that um, until I married um, my college sweetheart. And then I, I was so excited and I just knew that God really... He develops, you know, those different nurturing aspects when you need them. I didn't think I had them before, but I need—I had them when I needed them, and which is great. And we had three boys, and I will confess, I was a little disappointed that I didn't have a girl with baby two, and cried with baby number three. And then you feel guilty for that, right? Because I've got healthy babies, um, and but God really ministered to my heart and. I've just embraced being a, an all-boy mama. <laughs> Michelle, talk about the importance of a mother investing time in her relationship with God. I'll say this. There's no greater thing you can do for your children than to pray for them. And and so, no, I mean, in all the roles that we have, we being a prayer is the most important thing. 
because we we don't even know the things that they're facing out in life, even in elementary school. So we just, you know, we pray protection over them. We pray that that they find God in situations and that they are highly favored and, and that they find the path that God has for them to walk in it every single day. We pray these things for them. But in order to be able to pray those things, you have to know God. So for as a mom, I know you're busy. Listen, I, I do. I really do remember the days when I was so grateful just to be able to have a bath. Like, you're just so busy. But if you can just invest just a few moments a day, it doesn't have to be an hour and a half in your prayer closet, but just give those first moments, the first fruits of your day to the Father and just say, Lord, before my feet even touch the floor, I'm giving this day to you. Please help me to be the mom you created me to be and help me to be able to parent my kids the way that you parent me. Just just something simple like that that you pray. And then when you get a chance, the kids are napping or, or they're at school, take some time to get into the Word of God. You know, there's so many ways to get it now on your phone, listen to it an audio, but just spend a few moments in the Word every single day. That's the best investment you can make for your children. Bethany, let me ask you a similar question with respect to placing a priority on that relationship with God. How have you found for, for yourself that that can be done? I struggled with this for a long time because I would always put it off. I, you know, I, oh, I'll do my quiet time, you know, at lunch or I'll do it in the evening and then it wouldn't get done. And then I'd be in this cycle of guilt because I didn't spend time in the Bible. And but I will tell you, I've just recently started getting up um, earlier because um, the kids are back in school. And the days when I sit down even for 15 minutes and just do like through a, a Bible study workbook or something, the whole day is better. There is peace. I feel like I'm a better wife and mom and there's a big difference. So it's, it's has to become a priority and, and God extends those hours for you, I think in his, his own way. Bethany Jett and Michelle Medlock Adams here on the Intersection Podcast. The website address is Michelle and Bethany spell out and.com. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection Podcast. The podcast can be listened to or downloaded through the Media Center. It's also available through iTunes and a variety of podcast platforms. Plus, through the Meeting House homepage, you can find links to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there is a link to video content. Content from the Meeting House program and the Intersection podcast can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to faithradio.org. David Curry, the president and CEO of Open Doors USA, shared with me about the 2020 Open Doors World Watch List, which identifies the nations who are the leading persecutors of Christians around the world. He did spend quite a bit of time on the four-position rise of China from number 27 last year to 23 this year, including some concerning trends. Here now is David Curry. North Korea is number one again for the 18th year in a row. If you know anything about North Korea, your listeners will know that it's isolated from the rest of the world. Christians, even in that very difficult context, have it the most difficult because 
they're considered an enemy of the state in North Korea, the number one enemy of the state, because they don't want to be challenged on on the worship of their great leaders, and uh, obviously because of the independence and the freedom uh, that the theology of Christianity and the words of Jesus give to the individual. And and fundamentally, they don't believe in the individual. They believe in their own power. So it's a challenge to them. What it means, practically speaking, in North Korea is that if you own a Bible, uh, if you're found with one or, or talking about Christianity, you're going to go to labor camp. Many lose their life there. You certainly lose everything. Uh, it's a very, very tough existence to give people a sense of scale. Imagine a stadium full of people, and that's how many Christians are in a labor camp right now. Somewhere around 60,000 are in labor camps for their faith in North Korea. So that's why it's number one. It doesn't diminish uh, the the fact that it's been there at the top. It doesn't diminish the intensity of it. Negotiations on the nuclear front thus far have not diminished the, the... the pressure on Christians in the country, that, that has to be said. But I, I'm hopeful that at some point we're going to get around to talking about human rights in, in North Korea. And if they truly want to be part of the international you know, econ- economic conditions, um, that they're going to have to have that conversation internally, how they can open up and give more freedoms. Moving through the top 10 on the World Watch list, number one, you have North Korea then Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea at number six, then Sudan, Yemen, Iran, and India. China is at number 23 this year. It was number 27 last year. There are a number of disturbing developments with respect to China, and that that has to be probably, if not the top trend, one of the top trends in this year's World Watch list. So comment on that if you would. Yeah, it really is. I think it's important not just to look at where it was last year, but to look at where it was in 2018 on the World Watch list. It's jumped almost 20 spots. Wow. And what we're signaling with the trends that we see is that we, we may see it in the top 10 next year. It's accelerating that fast. So let me dive a little deeper on this so that people understand, because I think it's going to have a wider effect. China has a very sophisticated surveillance program. They own the communist now, uh, communist government owns cameras on every street corner everywhere uh, in Beijing and in any major city and in many minor cities. And while that may keep you safe, uh, marginally safer from muggers, they've now put it in a very invasive way into the church. So they have the surveillance that's never been done before. This sounds Orwellian, but but when you see the puzzle pieces put together, it's, it's shocking. They're monitoring church congregants. The cameras pointed at. I was in China, saw this just weeks, uh, a week or two before Christmas. Monitoring Christians, who's showing up, who's not showing up, and they have the artificial intelligence to track this stuff. Then they're overlaying it with a social score. Every uh, person is given a a citizen's rating in China, and whether you're complying with the communist dogma and agenda, you can rank higher or lower. And here's the challenge. They're ranking Christian behavior as a negative, as a withdrawal. So that means parents, if they bring their kids to Sunday school, that's not allowed. 
under the age of 18. So they are then deducted. So that means maybe lose your job, the ability to travel. So this this is a massive step forward. And while it seems like, well, maybe your fears are unfounded. Well, it's already happening. And they're targeting in a very sophisticated way, the Muslim minorities in the northwest of the country, putting them in concentration camps, not small numbers, a million of them. And they're doing this with artificial intelligence, with facial recognition. Mm. And I, I just see this as the big issue that we're going to be dealing with. David Curry here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website opendoorsusa.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Mark David Hall, a professor of politics and honors at George Fox University, who serves as director of the John Dickinson Forum for the Study of America's Founding Principles. In our recent discussion, he talked about how the Christian faith of the founders of the United States integrated their faith principles into the foundation of our country. He's written the book called Did America Have a Christian Founding? Separating Modern Myth from Historical Truth. Here now from a recent conversation is Mark David Hall. I think America's founders drew from their Christian convictions to create a constitutional order that benefits all Americans, regardless of our faith or lack of faith. And clearly, when it comes to matters like religious liberty, they embraced a notion of religious liberty that protects all Americans. Most Americans were Protestant in the late 18th century, but they clearly intended to protect Catholics and Jews and the principles they adopted clearly protect um, Muslims and Hindus and Sikhs today. Well, so as we look at these principles and we look at our founding fathers and their faith, give us just kind of a thumbnail of the the faith of what are commonly known as our founding fathers and how their faith was really integrated into not only our founding document, we talk quite a bit of the, about the Declaration of Independence, but there's also the the matters surrounding a, a faith integration into the U.S. Constitution. So so talk about the, the perspective, the faith perspective of those who are considered to be our founders? Sure. Well, just in terms of identification, 98% of Americans in that era would identify themselves as Protestant. The only other 2% Roman Catholic, and there may be 2,000 Jews in four American cities. Um, now, that's an interesting finding, but it doesn't really answer the question. So what I do is I dig deeper and deeper, and I look at were they sincere Christians, were they Orthodox Christians, in one of my favorite chapters, I take on the very common myth that most of America's founders were deists. That is, they believed in a clockmaker God who created the world and stepped away from it. I show there's absolutely no reason to accept um, that claim, and I think I utterly demolish it. I then go on to argue that I think the best way to think about uh, America, America's founding is in terms of influence. America's founders were influenced by Christian ideas the fact that humans are created in the Mago Dei, the image of God, and therefore should be treated with with respect and dignity, the fact that humans are sinful, um, and this certainly informed their, um, their, their constitution, right, with separation of powers and checks and balances and federalism. And then very important in this day and age, they understood liberty as being the freedom to do what is right. Um, you don't have a right to do something that's wrong. And so if we hope to understand the founders' view of liberty, we have to understand that it's a, a view very much constrained by Christian morality. Trace, if you would, this history, because people 
you know, they embrace this theory, what has been said, and it's been spread. And, you know, unfortunately, you get something that's that started as a rumor and people begin to embrace it, especially when it fits a particular agenda. So this whole thing about our founding fathers being deists and that playing into this false narrative of the separation of church and state, I I imagine or I, I believe that that's something that you explore in the book, that perhaps characterizing the founders as deists might have really kind of given fuel to that whole separation myth. You know, I think that's right. So some of these matters were debated even in the 19th century, but really it's in the 20th century where you get these progressive secular academics who start writing books saying things like most of America's founders are deists, they created a godless constitution. They wanted to build a wall of separation between church and state. I think these things could be separated out, but they do happen to oftentimes go together. I think sometimes it's just bad, lazy history. In some areas, though, it's clearly agenda-driven. I think when the U.S. Supreme Court in Everson versus the Board of Education said we must interpret the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment in light of the views of Jefferson and Madison— and Jefferson and Madison wanted to build a wall of separation between church and state. Therefore, the Constitution requires a wall of separation between church and state. That is just horrible history, and I think it's very much an agenda-driven history, um, driven by a desire to separate church and state. And so I, I believe, I'd like to say, I utterly demolish that claim, both that the founders were deists, that they created a godless constitution, and especially that they wanted a wall of separation between church and state. In fact, I show that metaphor isn't even all that accurate with respect to Jefferson and Madison, but when we turn from Jefferson and Madison to the rest of the founding generation, it it just utterly, um, there's no evidence to support it, none at all. Mark David Hall, the final guest on this edition of the Intersection Podcast. You can find out more by going to markdavidhall.org. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through that homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection podcast. You can also find the podcast in the Media Center as well as through a variety of podcast platforms and the Faith Radio app. Two blogs are accessible through the Meeting House homepage. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there's a link to video content. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, as well as the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app at a variety of podcast platforms. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.